It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, I hate to say it, mate, but it's like a drug. Football to me is, I mean, you know, you get a little taste for it when you're when you're younger. But when you get lucky enough to do what I do and be in the stadium uh, when Bayern win the treble, that's mainlining the pure stuff. Welcome in to episode eight of The Heart of the Game, the show where we get to know the voices of football. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea, and in this edition of the show, we get to chat with one of the most colorful and endearing characters in the world of soccer broadcasting, a prominent voice in the English language of the German Bundesliga, our good friend, Phil Bonnie. This one was a lot of fun. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this thing. So I've got to know how a humble lad from the south coast of England, uh, a, a man from Southampton, became a prominent voice of the German Bundesliga. Where was the where was the link between the south coast of England and the nation of Germany and specifically German football, Phil? Well, now you've opened a can of worms, haven't you? Um, it's quite simple, and I suppose it's pretty much the same as, as as most people who are into football. I've always been into football, grew up with it. I had the classic uh, education in football. My grandfather taking me to see Southampton FC play for the very first time as a young man. And you only go and see them get thrashed once and you're instantly hooked and can't wait to see them get thrashed every other weekend. <laughs> Joking aside, <laughs> um, no, he took me to see my first game of football, my grandfather, um, but the whole family's football mad. Like all kids, kicking the ball around in the garden. Um, I was in every school team. I was in every Cubs team, youth club team, all the way through my life. I was never good enough to be in the starting eleven, but I was on the bench. And if Billy... My friend hadn't done his homework and couldn't come or if somebody else's um, had visitors and wasn't allowed to play or they got injured, then I got a game. But, uh, you know, I was never good enough to be a pro. Um, I've got a, a weird and varied background. I wanted originally to be uh, an actor, seriously, at uh, the age of 12. Um, the football was never going to be uh, um, an option because I wasn't good enough. didn't have the uh, the killer instinct. Uh, so uh, I pursued a, a theatrical career and was lucky enough at the age of uh, 19 to move from Southampton to London to attend one of the best drama schools uh, in the UK. 
which I'd got an audition for and managed to, to pass. Uh, so I then studied there for three years and left uh, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art in 1987 um, and um, promptly was unemployed, like most actors once they graduate from drama school. Uh, during my time uh, that summer, um, helping out, uh, there's a little known side to me is that I, I, I actually do stage fencing. Uh, it was one of the things that I was good at, having always been a footballing, cricketing, tennis player, and most sports I've, I, I can play to a, a half decent, give somebody a good game as long as they're not a professional sort of uh, uh, level. And uh, I was uh, helping my uh, combat master, the, the the fight choreographer that, that taught me, uh, John Waller, who was also incidentally the um, the fight choreographer on uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, he's no longer with us, sadly, but uh, a, a great man, a legend in, in the fight choreography world, where I bumped into my future wife uh, in this time, 1987, in the summer. Um, we stayed together and both of us were in theatre. Uh, she also attended uh, Lambda for a while. The uh, the long and the short of it is, as most actors or people with any acting uh, uh, in, uh, enthusiasms out there will know, most of the time you spend your time working behind a bar, doing market research, that sort of thing, because the jobs are few and far between. But she grew up over here in Germany, in Cologne, despite having British parents who moved out of uh, the UK to Africa in, in the 50s. Um, they were uh, they had to leave suddenly due to uh, upsetting the local dictator at one point. And um, they arrived back in, in Cologne, Germany. She was from there grew, or grew up there. She came over. We lived together for 10 years. And then when she was offered um a, a job over here um she took it and my career was not particularly advancing at any great pace in any way shape or form um i decided that having visited her her parents over those 10 years two or three times a year as most people do you you go home for christmas easter or thanksgiving i suppose in the states you would do the same um yeah so i, I turned up here and was uh, starting sort of from afresh I came over to be a what is known as a houseman over here basically a house husband she would go to work and I would do the cooking and uh, washing and uh, that sort of thing it didn't last long a couple of weeks uh, after arrival my brother-in-law also involved in theatre got involved in a production of Romeo and Juliet they wanted to do it with sword fighting and he said oh I know somebody that's just arrived from England who's quite handy at that so he put me forward and uh, it's it's actually something I still do to this day is uh, when I'm not uh, commentating football, I, I, I choreograph fencing for film and theatre and uh, television. And I also teach at a local drama school once a week uh, on a Wednesday, unless there's Champions League on, of course, and then I might be somewhere else. But uh, it's... It's it's a lot. It's you won't believe this story. It sounds like I'm making it up, but the, the, to, to cut it long and short, I after choreographing the Romeo and Juliet, the uh, artistic director of the theatre said, oh, I've always wanted to do The Three Musketeers. And you have to remember, I didn't speak any German when I first arrived outside of, you know, how much is that? Can I have another beer? And where's the toilet? Um, and uh, he said, oh, I see from your, your, your CV that you are actually a trained actor. Would you, would you like to be in this production that we're about to do of The Three Musketeers? He said, you can choreograph it and be in it as well as the Duke of Buckingham because he's English anyway. And we'll, it doesn't matter if you sound funny. Um, <laughs> So I got that gig and then they, they moved on to Cyrano de Bergerac and the guy that had played D'Artagnan 
uh, was going to play Cyrano. And they said, oh, well, you can play the guy who he kills in the first 10 minutes. He doesn't have much to say. He just has to die. <laughs> and uh, so I choreographed the fights for that. And then they said, oh, we're going to do Rumpelstiltskin at Christmas as the kids show. There's no fighting in it, but we think you'd make quite a good Rumpelstiltskin. Um, so I got that. And anyway, I'm trying to cut a long story short. But as you know, I, I quite like the sound of my own voice. You might have noticed over the years. Um, but uh, I worked with that theatre for quite a while. At the same time as this was going on, my wife started working. Uh, the job she came over to do was at the Deutsche Welle. And Deutsche Welle is like the German version of the BBC World Service. It's, it's an international broadcaster, but it's, it's owned by the German government. Uh, originally a child of the Cold War that was set up to broadcast over the wall into the old uh, former east uh, of Germany with uh, obviously unbiased or slightly biased to, to the west, obviously, uh, uh, propaganda, I suppose you would say. But uh, it's been a, it's been a um, for years and years and years, a, a source of uh, good, um, clear, uh, fairly unbiased news for Africa and Asia and, and, and uh, around the world. But they also produce uh, television programs. And part of my training, obviously, as an actor is is uh, as a voiceover artist. And uh, this is where it starts to get interesting. This is where the footballers out there will, uh, the football fans out there will, will, will get interested. One of the guys that used to direct the documentaries that we used to make, which used to be varied from ships in Hamburg uh, Harbour to zoos in Berlin. But one of the directors that would direct that, also someone with... Uh, other jobs rather than his main job as it were was a gentleman called toby charles who yes. used to and you see there's the connection he obviously in america is very well known for being uh, the voice uh, of the bundesliga um, soccer made in germany and toby and i obviously hit it off and would always talk about football and uh, he's a great Borussia Mönchengladbach fan incidentally um, but we would always talk about Gladdy as he calls them and uh, <laughs> at one point um, he just turned around and said oh by the way they're looking for somebody because every now and then he has like a holiday or if he was sick or anything they were, they were looking for someone to fill in and uh, he said they're looking for somebody do you think you'd be up for it so I my classic answer is I, I thought it over for about 0 0.0001 of a second before saying, yeah, sure. Um, I did uh, I did a sort of audition, which was also quite uh, uh, nerve wracking. Um, but uh, I did the audition and they said, basically, yeah, great. You start next week. <laughs> so, so I was in. And that, that was uh, my first season was 2003-2004. Philip Lahm had just gone off to... Uh, was just loaned out to uh, Stuttgart at the time, and he was just starting his career. And uh, I'm still going, but he's retired. That's all I say. <laughs> My favorite part of all of that, Phil, is that you opened that up by saying it's very simple. You know, that, that whole story about drama, stage fencing, dictatorships and democracies, house husbands, Shakespeare and Toby Charles. It was all just a very, very simple thing that just really fell in place. Um, I love <laughs> every bit of that. I love the fact that your theater background is really what opened the door to your football commentary career. And it's just the most obvious question I have to ask of the the, the similarities between the two and, and the concept of 
performance and and being behind a microphone and and being for all intents and purposes still after all these years uh, despite the fact that the the craft may have changed a little bit or I, you're you're still involved in in the theater clearly but as far as how people who are listening to this show uh know your voice as as a football commentator as a prominent international voice of the German Bundesliga how often do you see it all kind of tie in together for you, the the performance aspect and the, the theater roots that you have when you're just calling a German football game? Well, it's, it's a very good question. The, the, the thing is, the football is, it was my first love. The football is, is what I love. I'm, my first memory is kicking a ball against a wall in the back garden of my uh, of my parents' home. So the football's been with me all the way through. And I must say, I played for the drama school football team as well and sort of organised <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, wherever I've gone, I've always I've always been involved in football. I mean, it's one of those things, I believe, you don't have to be Ronaldo, but you do have to know what Ronaldo's trying to do and you do have to know how difficult it is. There's one of the worst things is when you hear a commentator, and I do hear them, and I'm sure everybody feels the same thing, the ball comes across, Lewandowski tries to get his head on it, it glances and goes over by a, a, a couple of feet. And the commentator says, oh, well, that was a golden opportunity for Lewandowski. And as, a, as someone that plays, you know that, my God, how on earth did he get anything on that ball at all to even steer it anywhere remotely close to the goal? It was almost impossible to get into that position. What a brilliant player. And there, there is that, that, that difference be, be, between the two. But to back to your original question, the, the love of the football, the love of the game, it's also a job. It is a job and you have to, my wife, I'm sure thinks that it's just like, you know, here we are, you and I, we're having, having a drink, you a cup of tea and I'm, I'm possibly something stronger later on. But the, <laughs> the thing is, it is a job. It takes a lot of research. You, you have to be permanently uh, trawling through the internet, finding out little gems of information about people, making sure that you know who did what and who said what, uh, which I'm not always brilliant at. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but at the same time, nobody wants to hear, I don't think, oh, well, that was a nice goal. Well done. You know, <laughs> somebody's got the ball. You have to build the tension. You have to in inform, but not you're not you shouldn't really be the center of, of attention. You should enhance what's going on. And I, I try and do that. I try and go through the gears in my voice so that I don't do everything at this incredibly high. Oh, what a fantastic game this has been. I can't believe that we've seen so much because that that kind of gets strenuous as well. So so I like to try and use the different levels and oh, we really dug that ball out from somewhere. And if it goes on and it gets higher and then you can explode. But hopefully it adds to the game and, and, and doesn't detract from it, uh, if that makes any sense. It, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and going back to the, the performance aspect, I think that might actually raise some very unique difficulties for, for someone like yourself being from a, a scripted theatrical background. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you did plenty of improv as well, but you're you're talking to me about Shakespeare. You're talking to me about full on uh, uh, theatrical productions that were a huge part of, of your life at, at such a critical juncture in, in your artistic career. And when we're talking about a football match, we're talking about something that is live. That's the most compelling part of a football match. We don't know what's going to happen. The the stark simplicity of what we love about football. Going back to the, the Peter Drury interview uh, on, on this very show of there's nothing like 
1-1 or nil-nil in the 80th minute. We don't know. It could go any way. It's on a nice edge as opposed to a, a scripted theatrical performance. So I'm I'm curious how you have harnessed that and and learned to really get lost in the unknown, the, the beautiful unknowns of football. And specifically who, I know you talked about Toby Charles and, and what an influence to have and someone who, you talk about public broadcasting. I mean, that was through KQED San Francisco was the original uh, public broadcaster that brought uh, Soccer Made in Germany to U.S. television back uh, in in the 70s and 80s, and Toby Charles, so well-known around the world, so many cultures uh, have love for this man. So in addition uh, to Toby, I'm very curious who some of the football commentary figures and, and voices, whether in Germany, back in England, or or wherever, who the uh, the folks who really helped you learn how to be the best football commentator that you can be, because you clearly have the theatrical background, you got the performance background, but who really helped you become a proper voice of the beautiful game, Phil? Well, it's 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 good that you actually say it because I should actually give uh, uh, more uh, credit and gratitude uh, to Toby Charles because he took me under his wing. Of course, he did. Um, we were friends, um, uh, and uh, Toby's still fine. He's uh, he's in Spain, locked down right now. They're trying to get him back uh, over here to Germany uh, right now. But uh, for anybody that's uh, interested, uh, Toby's st- still very much alive and uh, kicking and. Um, he took me under his wing, showed me the ropes, showed me what I should do, showed me what I shouldn't do. Um, and then, like all uh, masters and apprentices, a bit like Darth and, uh, <laughs> and Luke Skywalker or, or Darth and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, it was, uh, there was a point where I said, well, yeah, but Toby, I've got, I've got to read it and do it so that I can do it for me rather than for anyone else. And whoa. One thing I'll never do again is upset Toby Charles because you don't want to get on the bad side of him, that's for sure. He let me know what he thought about that. But um, I grew up like most English kids did. I was, I'm 55, so um, born in 1964. The 70s, uh, the, the heyday of uh, Southampton Football Club, 1976. I was 12 years of age. Um, we won the FA Cup for the only time. Uh, to this date, obviously, we, we, we hold out hope for seasons uh, to come but um the, the, all the classics uh, more recently uh, obviously you're talking about you know, david coleman and uh all, all brian moore and all, all those those guys but also just modern voices like um jonathan pierce i really hated him uh when i first heard his voice when he was commentating at the time in in london um, because he used to shout quite a lot. But after a while, I realized that actually that's kind of what I want to hear. I want to hear people getting in, enthused about the football. I don't I don't want Jones, Smith, oh, fine goal from Brown. Uh, I want somebody to have the same excitement as I do, because when I'm watching football, that's what I'm thinking inside. I'm, I try to be non-partisan, and if the football's rubbish, I will say it's rubbish and hopefully why and what they could do to uh, uh, improve upon it. Um, it's hard to say that I had just one influence. I, I, I hear things that I don't like and I hear things that I do like, but I don't necessarily try and copy anybody. I'm always wanted to be myself. You know, I, 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 when, as an, and even going back to when I was an actor, I didn't want to be the next Laurence Olivier. I wanted to be the first Phil Bonney, if, if, if you, if you grasp my meaning, it's, mm-hmm. 
uh, but there are I, I I watch so much football. I'm sure everybody does. Anybody who's a football nut like like most of us, are, you you watch so many commentators. It's 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 almost hard to point out people like. Uh, uh, um, the, the people that do like the in England, you have match of the day on uh, on a Saturday. Um, you know, some some of the guys that I work with work on that as well. Uh, people like Mark Scott. Um, yeah, I love listening to my my colleagues as well. We've got a great bunch of, uh, uh, of people that do the Bundesliga. It's uh, it's a real, I won't say family, but it's a, it's a real team spirit uh, more than anything else nobody's uh, trying to climb over someone else to get the better games everybody gets their game and we're enthusiastic and we talk about it and we swap ideas and info there's it, is it yeah maybe family feel is is yeah it's, it's more like a uh, a team that you're you're very much in the in the middle of everybody uh, gets on incredibly well that's that's one of the great things about this particular job is uh, everybody we work with including all the backroom staff they are all top-notch people who know their job know what is expected of them what's expected of us how we can help them how how they can help us um yeah so i'm, I'm missing it quite a lot as you can probably gather by <laughs> by the uh, the roomy look that i have in my eyes right now and a little little tear but um yeah that happens that but that happens over summer when there's a summer break so you know just a particular uh, instance that we're having right now hopefully is just a hiccup and, we, and, and we'll continue um, but you were talking as well about the the improvisational uh, side of things. Now, here's a little secret. I don't know what my colleagues feel about this, but I would much rather commentate a live football game where you don't know what's happened than what we have to do directly after the game. I'm not sure how many of your uh, listeners will be aware of the, uh, the the kind of production line that takes place in in our particular area. We not only commentate the, the live game, we then have to put a two-minute highlight together that has been cut down for us by um, um, our, our assistant producers um, that is not scripted by them or anyone else it's scripted by us and that has to be out and around the world it has to be arriving on people's mobile phones or cellular phones an hour after the uh, last whistle has gone so there is an incredible amount of fast typing that has to be done and I'm I'm kind of old old school so I, I was the last generation probably that didn't have computers or typewriters in, in, in the school. Well, we did have a computer, but we had a computer and only the five uh, <laughs> math, math nerds were allowed anywhere near it. You know, the rest of us were held <laughs> off with, with cattle prods because all we wanted to do was try and download Pong or something like that onto it. But so my typing's not as fast as some of the other guys. Some of the other guys, it's like uh, watching Liberace play the piano. They're, they're really fast. So that's the bit I hate more than anything. It's not reading it out. Once I've, once I've written it, I can read it out without making a mistake and read it out first time. But if you've got somebody standing over you tapping their uh, finger on their watch going, come on, this needs to be up and on the server so that people can start watching it. That that's 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 not brilliant. And then after that, there's another highlight that we do for the one hour highlights of the of the entire weekend. And again, that is sort of scripted highlights, but it's more bullet points, um, which is much easier because I particularly like improvising, as uh, um, as you said, part of the, the, the training that I got was about improvising. It's learning not how to trip over what you're saying and a lot of people have mentioned over the years that i have what they call it the phil bonnie pregnant pause when you hear that it's me thinking of what to say <laughs> <laughs> well what are you gonna say now phil 
Well, I'm going to say, uh, as I said to you earlier on, uh, something I've always wanted to say on uh, uh, calling up people in your part of the world is good morning, San Diego. What a lovely yes. morning. Rain, rain and yes. more rain. I love it. Yeah. Pouring rain here in San Diego and just this bright, glorious sunshine uh, back in Cologne. We've uh, we've we've flip flopped today, but we will get uh, some nice uh, spring blue skies. But as we uh, yours truly and Phil actually joked before this call, the rain, uh, hopefully keeping everybody uh, inside at uh, at the moment. And uh, as we uh, continue through through this storm and and on the other side, I'm confident echoing off of the uh, last episode of the show uh, with our good friend Taylor Twelman that that we will uh, make it through this and, and that we will uh, be singing for football. We will be uh, in the presence of the beautiful game uh, on, on the other side of, of all of this and, and we'll be better for it and we'll appreciate uh, the beautiful game more, more than we ever, ever did. And, and that's the mentality that I definitely want to have uh, as the host of this show and just as a student of the beautiful game, a, a, a fan of soccer. So I want to go back to the the original football fan Phil Bonney, uh, because there's there's a two parter here. I want to go back first to Southampton. I want to go back to the Dell. I want to go back oh, to the humble roots. You talked about you talked about the going and just just seeing the the first time that you saw Southampton get smashed, and you said, you know what? They're my club. I'm hooked forever. One of the most unique football grounds that I've ever seen, and I was so lucky where the way I cut my teeth as a young kid in the States and and the little bit of access that I had, it was right in the mid to late 90s. And so Matt Letizier is one of my first... One of my first legod is is one of my first footballing heroes, and and I was watching this guy who looked like he might as well be working at the chippy. Like I might see him at the tire shop down the street in my hometown of Watsonville. This working class regular lad who would just make other world class footballers look like fools. He made I'll never forget him making Peter Schmeichel look like an absolute fool as a goalkeeper chipping him at the Dell one time. And watching those games, it felt like they were from another era. They were in the late 90s, but I got to see the Dell. I got to see something that went back 100 more years. And you said you got to experience it uh, back there in in the 70s. When you think Southampton, when you think the Dell, when you think your original football memories, what are the first few things that, that come to mind, Phil? Oh, I've got I've got goosebumps when you when when you just ah oh, it's just um, ah oh, sorry <laughs> but I've got I've, like most football fans I've got so many bazillion memories of the the memories of being a child of being too young to go to the football and my entire family turning up they would they would come but my father was my father and his father before him were, were both shoe repairers um, and uh, they had a shop. Um, where my father worked with my grandfather, but my uncle and his two sons, who were much older than me by about eight, nine years, they would come on a Saturday. They uh, It would be a special thing. They'd, they'd drive up from where, where they were living in, uh, every other Saturday and, and they would all go and they'd take a box for the youngsters to stand on and they'd all go with my granddad and my both granddads and my dad and uh, my uncle and my two. And I was not allowed to go. It was because I was too small. And this is how I, mean, I must have been about three or four at the time. And th- this had a profound effect upon me. I, I, I was so, so very jealous of them. So that when my when the time came and I was actually allowed to go with my grandfather, 
uh, it was, I'm going to darn well enjoy this as much as I can. And I, I, I soaked up every single second of it, the, the, the trip there, because we walked and we walked. And as you walk, more and more people come along and you're all wearing the same colours. And of course, in those days, in the 70s, uh, it was people with rosettes and with rattles and hats and scarves um so it had this wonderful flavor and everybody talking with each other and are we going to win today well i don't know it's manchester you know it could be a difficult one um and that was kind of like my birth as a football fan but then came the teenage years when all of a sudden you get to about 15 and you're in with a group of friends and the lads go it's Ipswich midweek game. Shall we go down and go in the chocolate boxes? The chocolate boxes were kind of reserved at the ground for the youth. And uh, in those days, of course, it was just the youth. I'm, I'm very happy to say it's no longer that way. Of course, it's um, mixed both, both men and women and girls and boys. Um, but at the, in those days, it was just the youth. And at 15, 16, I saw some brilliant mate i'm kevin keegan and alan ball and and armstrong and and watson and hundreds and hundreds of names southampton was a team that had a reputation of taking players in the autumn of their careers charlie george came to us and i saw him play um alan ball was another one as i mentioned who 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 came and, and keegan of course and steve moran and andy townsend oh, there were just loads and loads and loads of names um but then going along to see them, and if you if you look on the internet, you can you can Google it, Southampton FC chocolate boxes, and you'll see old black and white. They were prefabricated concrete monstrosities behind the goal that looked like boxes, and the, and they packed the people in in those days. And the Dell wasn't the massive sort of I think at its biggest, even with with all standing, I think they only got about twenty six thousand in there. Uh, once it went to all seater. Uh, then it was it, it was reduced down to about sixteen or seventeen thousand, but it was an incredibly intimate pitch where you could reach out and touch the players when they went to take uh, a throw in, uh, m- m- much to the uh, chagrin of some of the visiting players, obviously because they were really within <laughs> punching distance. I suppose is what you would say. The awful times back then, but that was that was my uh, that was my teenage years, um, and then as I got older into the sort of 18 year uh, Phil Bonnie I was working um in my summer holidays uh at uh, in a restaurant obviously because that's what uh, actors do um the uh, and the restaurant was was frequented very often by um players of uh, of the uh, of the local team of, of Southampton um and Kevin Moore was there at the time, um, and his dad was was running the play, uh, was running. He was the manager at Southampton, um, and and I think it was Kevin Moore. Yeah, he'd, and he would always say, "Got a ticket for tomorrow's game, Phil?" And I go, "Well, maybe." And he said, "Oh, here's one." Then he just flop it out of his top pocket and put it on the oh. on the top. But he'd be, he'd be in there on a on a Friday, and I'd I'd get to go to the game on a Saturday. Um, just some uh, marvelous, marvelous memories there. And and then as I got older, and as of course got the job in Germany and uh, I'd, I'd moved away to London. So I'd, 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 um, I have to now tell you the story of stories that nobody believes me because I've got no photographic evidence. But when I went to drama school at the age of 19, my parents took me up to London to try and find somewhere. 
uh, to live. And we looked at a few places um, because we had obviously a limited budget. Looked at four or five different places across London, couldn't find anywhere. We went to various different um, places that, that offered uh, I can't remember what the English word for them is now, but uh, they, they were like estate agents who had uh, uh, rental uh, houses. And they said, oh, hang on a second. Do you like football? This one might be for you. And they pulled out an address and we took the train to uh, Earl's Court, well, up into London, went from Earl's Court down to Fulham Broadway, came out of Fulham Broadway, turned left, started walking up the road. And all of a sudden, obviously, you've come across Chelsea Football Ground on the left hand side and the address was the first house, a block of sort of apartment block, just past the shed end. Walsingham Mansions was the name of this place. And uh, I, I looked at the number and looked at the bell, rang the bell. And we went up to about the fourth or fifth floor, rang the doorbell, opened the doorbell. And uh, it was a, a student place. There were like four or five rooms there that students were renting. Uh, and uh, a guy called uh, Eki came to the door and said uh, oh yes you hear about the room oh yeah that's uh, it's you can have you can have bill's room he, none of us like football and i thought what do you mean by that i went into the room and it seriously was a room it was about 10 feet square it wasn't wasn't much more than that uh with two side windows with a perfect view of the entire chelsea football ground pitch um so i lived <laughs> there for a year <laughs> but i have absolutely no proof other than obviously people who i know who visited me in that time but i, I watched i watched chelsea every uh, every uh, other week and uh, while i was there southampton beat them twice once in the cup and once in the league it was brilliant and i've and, uh, yeah, and that, you were you were safely tucked away in in your room not inside the shed end as as a diehard southampton supporter you were well, safely above the shed end in your room Absolutely, about five floors up. But there Good. is there is terrible, terrible, terrible danger because, of course, every uh, level of stairwell, there's a window that opened out, and the Chelsea fans all knew that. And it was a bit like living at number ten Downing Street. We always had on match days. We always had a policeman on the door. We'd have to show our key to get in, otherwise he wouldn't let us into uh, our own. Uh, uh, home because the, play, uh, the the fans would go up and open the windows and watch for free, obviously. But if there was any trouble down at Fulham Broadway uh, station, the police were would be very often called away to deal with it. And if anybody left the door even slightly ajar, of course, the entire building would would fill up with uh, with Chelsea fans. I had a, a Sunderland fan uh, with me one occasion uh, in the cup when Sunderland scored first, uh, and he made quite a lot of noise because we had the windows open and. Uh, what he didn't realise was that we'd had scaffolding on the outside of the building because it was being painted and the fans had got on there and all of a sudden we had lots of faces at our window sort of, who's that doing all the shouting? Bring him out here. I want to stick my fist in his face. <laughs> that was uh, that was a proper shed end uh, homage. I'm glad we could uh, tie some uh, uh, theatre um, into this. Um, from From the chocolate boxes... To the shed end. I mean, you talk about the humble roots of of your your English uh, football upbringing. I also love there, Phil. This might be the most quintessentially English thing you've said in in quite some time. It, it's certainly one of the most quintessentially English things I've heard on this show. We're talking about all these beautiful football memories, and your first one that came to mind was the disappointment of you not being allowed to go. Um, I feel like there is some very, very beautiful uh, uh, symbolism uh, within that and the football fan. That, it's that actually that very, very, 
very deep trauma, Nate, is what it is. Very deep trauma that goes back a very long way. It's why I can't get enough of football today because I was denied so much of it when I was like four or five. Well, that transitions perfectly into what I wanted to ask you about. I said there was a bit of a uh, two-part plan there with uh, uh, going back into the the nostalgia files and and very much feeding into my own uh, uh, historian, anthropological enthusiasm and and football romanticism because I want to tie it back to the present moment or at least the the present era. I've watched you on, on multiple occasions or heard your voice accompany massive moments in in German football in in German club football and we're talking about the 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 modern Bayern Munich era just as as one example but everything that Borussia Dortmund have have accomplished over the last decade so many other great examples as German football has very much risen back up to a a new era of prominence my god the German national team and the 2014 World Cup and everything that has happened uh, some up, some down, certainly, but a lot of ups and, and a lot of prestige around German football. And there was one video in particular that uh, in, in reviewing some stuff before this show, I found uh, the gaffer Chris Harris actually sent this link to me. And it was you narrating, just, just talking over uh, the opening ceremonies of a Bundesliga season. I think it was from a couple of seasons ago. And it was a match at Bayern, and it was the opening ceremonies of of the Bundesliga. And it was just this sheer pageantry of the most prestigious, the the fireworks, the choreographed smoke, the uh, the eighteen uh, uh, colored balls representing every club, uh, the the light shows at the Allianz Arena, the fans with the tifo. This was as as prestigious as club football could could ever feel is there ever a time in those moments whether it was that moment right there or or others that i'm sure are just kind of reeling off in your brain of the most prestigious of of fields in in your german football life or even just really in your football life are any of those moments where you ever just think back to a pissing rainy wednesday night at the dell or a uh, uh, hovering above the shed end and having to keep the hoolies out of your apartment building and all the humble, gritty roots that we talk about. How often does uh, a nice, proper juxtaposition of gratitude uh, hit the mind of Phil Bonnie when you're in those uh, rather prestigious scenarios these days in Germany? It's like a drug. Football to me is, I mean, you know, you get a little taste for it when you're when you're younger. But when you get lucky enough to do what I do and be in the stadium uh, when Bayern win the treble, that's mainlining the pure stuff. It's it just flows through you because you you maybe it's arrogant, but you just feel well. This is what football's all about. It's the occasion. Many many years ago, uh, I'm a Southampton fan till I die. That's red and white for life. That's uh, no no joke. But I at the core of everything is I love football. Now in Germany, I, I don't particularly, um, one of my things I, I try to be as neutral as possible. As I said, if the football's rubbish, then I, I call it as rubbish. But when you see these moments when, when Lewandowski scores five goals in nine minutes and I, that for me, obviously for, for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's one of my most iconic moments in football for me. I was 
standing up, screaming my head off because it was just, this is what football's all about. And it doesn't matter that it was Bayern or that it was Lewandowski. It's just that a man had done that. Having played football all my life uh, poorly, <laughs> not as well as him, but to see somebody do that is just it makes every fiber of your being stand up those 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 moments when the the gold glitter shoots into the sky when they've when a team's won the the, the DFB Pokal the, the 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 adoring moments as as a as a player runs to the fans after a fantastic team goal with four or five exquisite passes that's finished off into the top corner and leaves the goalkeeper sprawling. Uh, these are the moments that we live for, and I try to enjoy them as much as I can when I'm there. But you know, I, like you say, I've 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 seen our team get kicked five nil on a rainy Wednesday evening um, when it's so cold, and I've still not left. I've still not left in the hope that my team will get one goal back. Another one of those core memories for me is is my, my granddad. When Southampton were getting beaten by somebody, I don't know, it's probably Tottenham Hotspur or something. Just everybody was going, and I said, "Oh, come on, let's go, Grandad, because it's just awful watching them getting a spanking." And and he went, "No, you wait, you wait." You said, "He said if if we score now, you watch all those people run up the steps. That all the ones that have gone to be at the top at the at first in the queue uh, to get their cars out of the car park or whatever. All the all those people that have gone." You see, they'll, it's, it's, it's like going it's like going to the theatre to see uh, an Agatha Christie play. And at, just at the moment when they say, and the winner is, or the murderer is, and then going. <laughs> you see, you never know. So, you know, and, and of course, as luck would have it, or, well, my granddad was a, had a brilliant eye for football as well, I'm pretty sure. Uh, the goal is scored and all these people come running back and the look on their faces and the disappointment knowing that they probably won't get to see it. Cause of course in those days it, it wasn't uh, the on-demand uh, replays that we have today. And that for me is, a, is, was an iconic moment as well. You can't leave before the game's over because you know, like you said earlier on, you never know what's going to happen. There's no such thing as, Oh, it's going to be nil nil all the way through to the end. That is, isn't something that we know for sure it's likely it's possible but when you get that last minute touch of brilliance that that Marcel Rissa free kick that just rockets past the Gladbach wall and goes into the corner and becomes goal of the season and you just happen to be lucky enough to be calling that game on that day those are the moments that just as a football commentator you just think oh my goodness I could do this every single day for my entire life and I would not get bored ever the gratitude is palpable in your voice, to say the least, Phil. And I love that you spotlight the uh, Lewandowski performance, the five goals in nine minutes. There will never be, I don't think that will ever be replicated at, at that high of a level of football. I think we'll we'll see that in Sunday League from time to time. And if someone pulls that off in a Sunday League match, I'm probably still going to stand up and applaud. Somebody scoring five goals in 11 v 11 full field football in nine minutes is is something that at any level of the game uh, uh, deserves a standing ovation for, for Lewandowski to to do it at the elite level uh, that he did in, in that famous match uh, for Bayern Munich. It, it's the stuff of absolute legends. And in addition to, to that moment, I feel like there's a, another moment in your personal life that might actually be up near uh, the top of the uh, uh, German memories list 
uh, for Phil Bonney. I'm, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, but I've learned uh, some things about you and your connection, obviously, with your wife and to the city of Cologne, but now to Germany as a whole. I, I, I'd be willing to bet that alongside that uh, Lewandowski five-goal and nine-minute performance, there's uh, another moment where you, for all intents and purposes, became an honorary German that might be uh, just as special for you. Would you uh, care to tell the uh, listeners about what I'm referring to? Well, absolutely. Um, and uh, it's 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 uh, not an honorary German. It is an honor to be a, a German for two years nearly. Uh, yes, two years. Um, I have um, been a, a German citizen. I was able to, uh, under the laws of, of Germany, I was able to take out dual nationality, which means I keep my British passport and I also uh, am able to carry a, a German uh, passport as well. So now the biggest problem comes footballing wise when England play Germany. If they have to meet each other in the run-in, then please in the finals of something. And after that, we can talk about it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly um, something that I'm very proud to have done. I've lived in Germany for 25 years. Um, it's it's difficult. There's a lot of us around uh, who, um, over the last couple of years, have found it profoundly difficult with uh, the Brexit situation. Um when I, I I always try and explain it like this. In the, in the 1970s, the British government gave me, a young British lad, uh, the opportunity to move to Europe where I could work unhindered. I could have free movement. I could build a career, build a life, get married, have a child. Um, and that was great. And I've, I've done so. And I did that for 25 years. Two or three years ago, they said, we're going to have a vote to see whether or not you can continue doing that. Um, but because you've lived there so long, we're not actually going to allow you to decide whether or not you can continue living there. Now, that as may be, you can say, yes, I've lived here for 25 years, so I've been paying tax in Germany um, and earning uh, my money from working for the, for the Bundesliga, uh, albeit in English. But as everybody has a right to, I have an opinion on that. And I, I think it's a very narrow-minded uh um, view of the world and would very much like to continue living here and if I wanted to retire which is never going to happen I will they will carry me out horizontal from the commentators booth um, <laughs> rather not not rather not retire uh, but if I ever wanted to move to to France or, or, or Spain or Portugal or even um, Holland or, or Belgium or any of the other uh, countries in Europe, I am able to do that now without having to worry about um, pension and insurance and medical coverage uh, and, and, and the like. But I've lived in Germany, as I said, uh, for 25 years. You can never stop being British. If, 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 if you're born uh, in Southampton, uh, you, you don't suddenly switch and, and 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 turn everything off but what you can do is realize that there are a lot more uh, the horizons are, are, are a lot higher um i always remember one of my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the blues brothers uh is is when they turn up at the the uh, the country uh and western uh, uh saloon uh, bar place and the the lady says oh yes we have both kinds of music here country and western uh obviously she didn't come from South Wales, um, but uh, <laughs> the uh, 
the point about it was I, I learned with, with music as a kid, you know, you don't just like rock music or you don't just like rap music. You like music that you like. It's, and and I'm, I'm a bit like that with my football, too. You know, I live in Cologne and I kind of sort of follow them. It has to be said. Uh, I, I don't often admit to that very loud. But, um, you know, they play in red and white. They used to be better. They get beaten all the time. It's just like being at home in Southampton, really. Um, so but when they play Gladbach, it's, it's not if Gladbach play well and score great goals, I'm going to shout just as loudly because I'll have enjoyed it just as much as if it was Köln doing it the other way around. So so don't get me wrong in, in those terms because, you know, this is the whole thing about Europe as well. It's it's like, I am British, but I love living in Germany. I love being four hours away from, from Paris uh, in a fast car, um, two and a half hours by train from Amsterdam. You, you can go on holiday to the south of France, drive down 10, 11, 12 hours with a break in between, share the driving with someone else it, and, and you're there. To go to the UK, it only takes me from Cologne um, when we drive back, if, if we hit the uh, the Channel Tunnel at the right time. It only takes seven hours to get back to Southampton, seven and a half, eight hours with a, with a break in the middle. Uh, the world is much smaller and, and Brexit for me is, is, is kind of a step back into the past. Um, people are entitled to their own opinion, but mine is... Uh, I'd much rather be a European and, and stay here. Uh, German, uh, the German people um, are not the same as the British people. They have many, many similarities. Um, it's not for nothing that uh, the Brits are Anglo-Saxons. Uh, it's one of my favourite lines as well. They share a lot of uh, common beliefs and ways of doing things. Uh, perhaps the Germans slightly more stiff. Uh, in their uh, the way they they see themselves, um, the Brits may be slightly uh, more self-deprecatious. But uh, all in all, it's uh, I, I'm I'm very happy to be able to have the best of both worlds. I'm greedy, really. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a dual citizen and a fan of the game itself. I I love that. I have to deal with that conversation so much here in the states and the sort of uh, classic mindset with broadcasting you gotta you gotta take your partisan cap off and i always kind of hear that and go nah i'm gonna flip that whole mentality on its head i know who i've supported i know who i like and me liking and supporting them is what's gonna make me actually be the most neutral commentator possible and i mean you just you just explain that better than than I've ever been able to the example with if if Gladbach score the the goal against Cologne it comes back to being a fan of the game itself and and that's what it's all about so you are you are preaching to the choir uh, and then some uh, here Phil and to close this thing out this has been such a great great pleasure and privilege uh, having you on the show and adding you to the list of just fabulous football commentators uh, that we've had here on the heart of the game, a question that I've asked uh, most everybody, and, and you can take as long or short as you want uh, to answer this final question here. When it comes to the craft of football commentary, what do you, Phil Bonney, love the most? What is it? If you could pinpoint one or two things that, that keep you coming back for more, you said they'd have to drag you out horizontally and pry the mic from your hands before you'll ever stop calling games. Why is that? What do you love the most about football commentary? Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you could have given me a a forewarning on that one. But um, what do I like most about it? I like most that I get the chance to hopefully add something to people's experience of the game. 
without being too much of a, a, a clever dick about it. Um, <laughs> it's um, I love what I what I really love about it is is the challenge as well from from a working seriously from a working point of view is is the challenge of that improvisational nature and you said it yourself so well you never know what's going to happen when Germany went into the semi-final against Brazil if you'd have told me five minutes beforehand that they were going to win 7-1 I would have laughed you off the pitch I would have laughed you off wherever you were <laughs> it's just this this one it's it's such a privilege to be this close to the game as somebody who would so I would I mean I would really have loved to have been a professional I mean it's it's an incredibly hard 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 uh, business I, I don't blame any professional for, for getting as much money as they can out of the game because you never know that one slid tackle that takes your knee joint out and your your your, your history um, but but being so close to the game is, is such a privilege what I love about commentating is and this, uh, I'm, I'll probably get some hate mail for this, but just me, Phil Bonney, who loves football, sitting next to someone like Stefan Freund that played in the 1996 uh, Germany when they won the when they won the Euros, or sitting sitting next to uh, uh, Stephen Chirundolo, USA captain, and have them turn to me as just this kid from Southampton that's really annoyed that his grandparents didn't take him to see the football. But when they turn around and say, yeah, Phil, you're absolutely right. That's why that happened. Or, well, you know, as well as I do, Phil, that this, that to me, that gives me, I mean, that's, that's a purely selfish um, sort of buzz that it gives me because I never got to play professionally like they did. I never sacrificed the, the health of all my joints uh, like they did. Um, but to be treated as an equal by them uh, is 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 a real blast. But I love also as a commentator to to heighten the drama, the suspense, the experience that other people are having. Hopefully, and and so far, people have been fairly positive over my work over the last fifteen, sixteen years or so. Uh, and I, I just hope I can continue adding to people's enjoyment of the game. I suppose that's probably what I enjoy most about it is the fact that you listen to people out there saying, Oh yeah, that was great. And Oh, I'll always remember when that happened. And Oh, it feels commentary just added to the moment. And, and, and that sort of comment that you, you I sometimes read on, on Twitter and places is, is something that really makes me feel well, proud of, of, of what I'm trying to do. And, and hopefully they've continue or they will continue to in, enjoy me shouting out people's names for money. <laughs> Well, you have certainly added to the enjoyment of this very podcast. Phil Bonney, thank you so much for joining me here from Cologne to San Diego. This has been a great honor having you on the show, and you are welcome back anytime, my friend. Absolute pleasure, and anytime at the moment, uh, things being what they are, I've got a little bit of spare time that I can invest doing <laughs> these sort of things. And that's going to do it for episode eight of The Heart of the Game. Another huge thank you to our friend Phil Bonney. For everybody at WorldSoccerTalk.com and the gaffer Chris Harris, my name is Nate Abaurea, saying hasta la próxima. Bye for now. We'll talk to you next time on The Heart of the Game. Hey. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 